So hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am your host, John Robb. Unfortunately, of course, my spectacular co-host, Jeff Ayers, is unable to join us tonight, but that's okay. Um, I want to remind everybody that all of our shows are brought to you by Kensington Books, so visit kensingtonbooks.com, along with Suspense Magazine. So please make sure you visit suspensemagazine.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, I don't know, wherever you can find it. Uh, we're out there, and you can hear all the great interviews. Uh, tonight's interview, we are going to be talking with author James L. May. He is going to be talking about his latest book called The Body Outside the Kremlin. Uh, it's a cute little mystery. It's a very good murder mystery. Uh, it, it's, I, I like when these things are set back in, in the 20s, like you guys have always heard me say, because I like kind of when technology is kind of taken out of the situation and you have to actually have characters do their own shit. So that always intrigues me. Um, and again, uh, if you guys want to go ahead, our email address is radio at Suspense Magazine if you want to ask anybody any questions, and we can try to get them to the author and see if you can get an answer back. But without any further ado, we want to welcome James to the show. So, James, thanks so much for coming on. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks. How are you doing, John? I'm doing pretty good. Um, so, again, the book is called The Body Outside the Kremlin. Uh, you set this thing in the 1920s. It's a great little murder mystery. I, I love it. Uh, murder mysteries are, are kind of, I guess you want to say, my favorite um, I'm kind of a puzzle guy, so I always like to solve oh, yeah. the puzzle in there. Um, so tell us a little bit about what you got going on in here. Yeah, well, well it's set, as you said, in, in the 1920s, uh, and it's set in Russia. Um, so as, as you may know, uh, in the 20s in Russia, they had just had uh, the Russian Revolution, uh, meaning that the communists had uh, defeated the white army and come to power. Uh, so, so my book is set in a place called the Solovetsky Islands, uh, which was where the first uh, Soviet prison camp was based. Uh, and uh, you know, it's, it is a traditional murder mystery, more or less. You know, there's a, there's a dead body to start with. Um, but it, much of the, in fact, all of it takes place in this, in this camp, and the detective is a, is a prisoner as well. Um, so, it, yeah, it's certainly it's an interesting place. Yeah. I mean, I think um, what you're talking, you were talking about, you know, people have to... Um, Without modern technology, people have to do some of their own investigation. You know, this, right. this, this place, it's a very remote island. It's way up on, in the White Sea, uh, far away from, um, you know, I mean, the closest city is like 250 miles away, something like that. So these guys, I mean, not only did they not have modern technology, they were, they were really operating on a shoestring. They didn't have much to speak of. So they're, they're certainly doing their own shoe leather detection there. Now, I guess, uh, you know, one of the questions, of course, is, you know, Russia is uh, such a big country, and it's been in, of course, countless, if you want to say, uh, spy books and things of that nature. Oh, yeah. But it's never really been set kind of in such a, like, a remote area like you did. And it wasn't the, and I, I suck at not pronouncing things, uh, the Slovetsky Islands, is that how it was? Yeah, well, pretty close, Solovetsky. Solovetsky, yeah, okay. Yeah. So why, I guess, I guess the first question kind of is, why there? Have you, did you go there? Did you research? Or what was it about that place that you decided this is going to be the setting for my book? Well, I did quite a lot of research. Um, and I guess that, it's a good question. Like, you know, what, what about it was, made me pick it? You know, I, I sort of picked it before I had done all the research, of course. Uh, and that, that's a combination of things. One, it, it was the first camp in uh, what was going to be, come to be called the Gulag, which uh, is a, you know, that was the Soviet prison system during the, during the 20th century was 
extensive and deadly. It was really a you know kind of one of the great crimes of the 20th century. Um, right. Not not the sort of crime uh, that can be solved by a detective, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was one piece, just its sort of historical position. But th- what, what really caught my imagination about the place is that um, before it was a prison camp, before the communists turned it into a prison camp, it had been a monastery for about 500 years. Um, and in fact, it was the wealthiest and the largest monastery in the Russian north there. So just something about that combination of things, you know, the, the, so the, the prison actually was set in the, um, in the old monastic buildings, uh, and they actually, um, you know, they had a bunch of the monks' old stuff, what you would call monastic treasures, uh, things like, well, what particularly interesting for me, uh, old icons, religious paintings. Uh, and, yeah, something about that combination of the sort of holy place where people were, at one time had gone there to retreat from the world, and another time, you know, now the shoe kind of is on the other foot, and they're exiled there and, you know, receive really harsh treatment. Something about that just, just caught my imagination. Uh, yeah. Now, when in your research, did you notice, since there was a monastery in it, how much of the, I guess, the past of the religion was still very prominent in the area? Was it mainly Buddhist? Is that what it was when you say monks, or what was it? Like oh no, no. Well, so they were, yeah, they were. These would have been Russian Orthodox monks. Um, okay. So yeah, not. Um, so that's that's Eastern Orthodox Christianity, uh, okay. and they were. Yeah, I mean, Orthodox Christianity is, is in fact, it's still quite uh, quite a powerful force in Russia. And around the turn of the century, it was, you know, into the 1920s, uh, it was extremely important. You know, the one the line goes that. Every you know every little uh, hut in a Russian um, agricultural village or a Russian serf village. Uh, there there weren't serfs uh, at that time. There hadn't been for a little while. But you know people even people who had nothing at all, they would still have an icon, a religious painting in one corner of their house. And oh. you know just that was a very a big part of people's everyday life. Uh, that that actually changed when the communists came to power because, of course, you know, being communists, they were anti-religious. They didn't uh, believe in God and were uh, hostile to the church. Um, so they were they were trying to put an end to that, and that's that's part of why they they took this place from the monks. Uh, they were expropriating church property left and right uh, when when they came to power. Uh, so that was yeah, it was. I mean, it was a big cultural change for Russia when. Um, when the communists came to power, and yeah, a big part of that change was that the um, the the church was really, you know, kind of uh, yanked out of people's lives. Uh, that oh. that said, one one of the things that was was striking to me about it, I mentioned they had the that this in this prison there are still what I called monastic treasures. So one of the sort of striking and weird things, given how how hostile the um, the communists were to everything associated with with religion. Uh, is that instead of destroying these things, I, they had like icons and like um, you know it's stuff stuff that you have in a, a fancy church like uh, you know golden candlesticks and um, you know censers for incense and so forth that, that kind of thing. Sure. They didn't destroy this stuff or sell it. They actually created a, um, a mu- what they called a museum, which was sort of like a prisoner-run archive. Like and so they kept this stuff in the in the um, in the prison. Uh, and that's that's just yeah. So there's a lot of weird stuff about the kind of culture of this prison as well that that is is uh, has been fascinating to me. So tell us a little bit about Tolia, your main character. Uh, why do why was he the best one to go ahead and lead your story? 
Oh yeah, well, great question. Well, so Tolia is—he's um, a young guy. He's—he's he's about twenty, uh, and he's been imprisoned for. Um, well, he was involved in an, uh, an unsanctioned student group, which was certainly—you know—that was something that the new regime didn't like. And in particular, he's been caught with a, a banned book, and so you can be—he's—he's he's gotten lucky. You could be sent off for three, five, or ten years, and he's only gotten three years. But even a three-year sentence uh, in this camp. Could be very deadly. Um, uh-huh. You know, I don't, I don't know exactly what the um, what the survival rate was, but you know, tens of thousands of people died at this camp. Uh, so it, it's not, um, you know, he, he really, the chances of his survival are not not guaranteed by by a long shot. Um, and so the book the book begins with him in uh, what they called the quarantine company. Everybody had to be, uh, every prisoner was sent to the quarantine company for the first few months that they were in the prison. Uh, and that wasn't, um, it wasn't uh, quarantine for disease. It was sort of a quarantine for rebelliousness or, or you know, free ideas. It was to get you acclimated to the, the really harsh labor and really harsh uh, conditions of the camp. So he knows that um, it's in the main a labor camp. Most of what they did was um, cut lumber. And cutting lumber, uh, I mean, I've never done it, but I've certainly read about it. It's, it's not an easy job, and it's no easier. Tolia doesn't know how to do it. It's no easier for him than it would be for me. It's really, it's, you know, hard and dangerous, and they're not feeding them very much. So he would like to get out of this, this hard labor and the, this quarantine company. So he's been trying, to, um, been trying to make friends in this museum that I described. Particularly, he's got uh, a friend who uh, works restoring these icons uh, and hoping that you know, if he if he manages to get in good with these people, he'll be able to get a job, an easy desk job in the museum. Uh, but unfortunately, his um, his friend turns up dead one morning, floating in the bay. Well, that kind uh, of so, throws your plans to the wind, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, precisely. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. In fact, so yeah, yeah not only are his screwed plans, it all thing up. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Not, so not only are his plans screwed, but they they seem at first to think like maybe he had something to do with the guy being killed. Um, at length, he he becomes involved in the investigation. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think, I mean, one of the things that made him a good, you asked what made him a good character for that. You know, I mean, I think it was important to me to, to pick somebody who uh, hadn't been in the prison for very long, because there's, there's a lot to learn about how to get along there and, and, you know, just what it's like to be there. And, you know, you, you know, I had to pick a character who could, who ha- who could learn those things and, and let the reader learn them, too, as, as he did. Um, and, you know, there's some other stuff as well. This, the guy's actually based on... Um, I, I did a lot of reading of, of memoirs of people who had survived the camp, and he's, he's based in some ways on uh, one of my favorite uh, characters from a memoir. Uh, so that's oh. that's part of what it was. Uh. Okay. Now, you know, now, now this is your debut book, and this is a historical, you know, mystery. Mm-hmm. And I, I just got to kind of ask here, why did you not come out of the gate kind of a little safer? Um, and write something that's like a little bit more close to home, U.S., kind of stick in that realm. Why did you decide, you know, because you said you didn't, you know, you kind of had the idea that you didn't really know what was going to be said first, but yeah. you kind of had the idea that you wanted to go to Russia, right? Yeah, well, kind of. Yeah. So, you know, I, I guess I, the question <laughs> is, you know, again, why not just play it safe like U.S. and kind of come out of the gate slow or whatever? Why, 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 why decide to go to Russia first? Yeah, well, I certainly asked myself that question as I was about halfway through writing it. Um, <laughs> it, it, um, it yeah, you know, it did. It added some difficulty and certainly a lot of time in, in terms of research to do. Uh, I, I mean, that, that's it's a tough question to answer in some ways. Part of it was that I just found this place, you know, 
so fascinating that I kind of, I, I just, you know, I kind of felt like, God, I, yeah. I wish I could read this book. I, I only, if only somebody would write it. And of well, course, because, you know, you know like most people, it, so. if they're going to come out and they're going to write, like, not about the United States or whatnot, they're going to kind of put it, and, and, and you also did the 1920s, so you kind of did two weird, you know, things that a debut author really doesn't do right away. Sure. But if they do, they kind of stick it around maybe World War II or World War I or some kind of event that people are still familiar with. So yeah, they still yeah. have that kind of familiarity. But, yeah, you just went, you, you just went hardcore and said, no, I'm doing this. <laughs> Yeah, well, that, that's that's true. Yeah, I think I mean some of that was. You I know, think it's I like great. A, I like a challenge. I think it's great. I'm telling you, I think it's great that that, that that you did it. I was just like, that was a risk because you would have had. I mean, to find an agent and to try to get this thing published like that, man, that had to be very nerve wracking because again, you, you know, you didn't. You're not really playing on the safe side. You don't really yeah. have anything right out right at the beginning. Like the reader doesn't have any, you know, grasp to kind of get it, but then once you start reading it, you don't even give a shit about that, and that's the great part about the book. Yeah, well, well I'm, glad, I'm glad to hear you say that, but yeah, yeah, I mean, you're definitely right. You know, there is a lot of, um, you know, particularly Russian history and the history of the, the Russian prison system is not something mm -hmm. that's, that's really well known in the United States. So, uh, you know, along with sort of wanting to, to bite off something, you know, something tough just because in some ways I just wanted to see if I could, uh, mm -hmm. But but I also you know I do care about and certainly doing the research for this book I've come to care even more about getting that history to be a little bit more well known. Sure. Um, you know I really think Solovetsky is an interesting place, but it's also a, a you know historically important place. It it, it really is. Um, for instance, uh, the I've never heard of it to, until now. I've got to be honest, yeah. I've never heard of it until now. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think most people in the United States haven't. Although there there have been some good books written about it. Uh, but yeah, it's not it's not common knowledge. In, in Russia, right. it is pretty common knowledge. Uh, the, probably yeah. Yeah, the um, the memorial to uh, victims of the Gulag in uh, in Moscow is actually a piece of uh, just a big piece of granite from this island because it was the first, you know it's the first camp. Mm -hmm. um, so you know it has it has some importance that way. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, you know also I think like one of the things I like at least this is partly just about the kind of mysteries I like to read. You know I really like to learn something new in a mystery. The mm, okay. you know the structure of it is you know the detective. They have a problem to solve. They go around and they look at every, they go everywhere and they look at everything and they ask, mm -hmm. "How does this work?" And so, in some ways, that's really that's really well matched to learning about a new place and a new time. Um, so, okay. so I had I had that in mind a little bit as I was as I was writing. Gotcha. Yeah, I I was just you know when I first sent, you know when your publicist Meryl first sent this over, I kind of looked and I was like, you know, I go, "Wow, this is uh, I, first thing I thought was I go, this is ballsy." for a debut author to kind of do this. I go, this is kind of ballsy. Um, now, did you have an idea that you, were you thinking about maybe wanting to do a series with Tola, or did you say, nah, this is just going to be a one-off and your next book is going to be another one-off, or how do you kind of see things going now uh, future-wise? Well, that, that's tough. I, I've, you know, the, the, so the, the way the story is told, it's actually Tolia looking back on the events of the 1920s from the 1950s. Uh, and so I've, I've kind of filled in some of his life in between the two times. I don't know. It might be a little bit hard to fit another mystery in there. Uh, so I think at the moment I'm thinking of it as a, as a one-off. Uh, okay. That said, there are some characters I like in there. It's, it's, you know, certainly I've done a lot of research. It would feel kind of too bad to, to lose all of that. So I haven't, I haven't totally, um, totally written off the idea that uh, I would um, do something related but, to this. But your future. second book will not involve him. 
Yeah, I need. I, no, I don't. No, the second book, no. I because uh, you're already I what, done with it. Cleanser. Are you already mm-hmm. done with it, or no? It, still working. Still working on it. Okay. Okay. Because I know this book here, and again, want to remind everybody that we are speaking with author James L. May, and he is talking about his debut historical mystery novel called The Body Outside the Kremlin. So uh, the book came out in mid-January, so it's out now. When people are hearing it, you can buy it. Um, and uh, it's available, what, Kindle and hardcover uh, and audio, right? Yep, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, you can buy it on those. Um, now, I, so your second book is, is still a mystery, and you're still staying historical. Um, and so is this one that you might consider a series, or is this just another one-off? I think it'll be another one-off. Actually, you know, actually, the thing I'm working on right now—it's it's real different. Yeah. It's a—it's uh, a ghost story. Uh, oh, so, so you're jumping? Okay, okay, I see. Yeah, I, I like you know I, I I like to jump around. I you know I I read all of those things. Uh, you know I, I like mm-hmm. I like horror. I like mystery. You know, so I, I do. Uh, I don't. I'm not quite ready to pin myself down into one thing yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who um who have you read recently? Like what sort of what well, I like I like a good now the thing about me is I like a good horror book too, and I love a good ghost story. Um you know besides murder mysteries I would have to say that ghost stories are probably my my second favorite genre to read. Yeah. So I love like the Bentley Littles, I love uh-huh. the old John Sauls, you know of course Dean Koontz, um you know some of King stuff of course, uh you know Ketchum a little bit I would say of um. Oh God! Now I'm gonna miss his. Now I'm gonna not remember his name. Not Clyde Barker. Um, oh, I can't remember. But have you read anything kind of in that vein lately? Because I find those books now kind of tough to find. Yeah, well, I've I've been on a um, I've been on a big Peter Straub kick recently. Oh well, uh, yeah, Ghost Story and then Talisman and Blackout. Yeah, and yeah, those are great. Things, yeah. And and they and they actually um, I think it was it's, this was this came out fairly recently. They they released a big collection of his short fiction. Called, oh really? Um, I think it's called Interior Darkness. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I really I interviewed, I interviewed Peter once. Oh, I did yeah, interview cool. Peter oh, once. Yeah. yeah, really, really, cool. really cool guy. Really? Yeah, he 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 seems like uh, yeah. I've read a I don't. Uh, I don't think I've heard yours, but I've certainly read a few interviews with him. He seems, yeah, he seems like a real interesting guy. Yeah, it was a while ago. It had to be, ooh, maybe seven years ago that I interviewed him. And I don't even know. And it wasn't even. And I didn't even do it on the radio show. I did it, and it was just an interview for the magazine. So it would be in the magazine that I interviewed him for. Oh, cool. Very cool. Um, Look that up. Yeah, 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 yeah. And one of the big things that we just got to do in November, my wife and I were invited by um, Dean Koontz to go to his house, and we interviewed him there. Oh, cool. That's great. Yeah, that was, that was something. That, I've never seen anything like that in my entire life. Yeah, cool. But have you read anything in that vein? So now, because you're kind of writing in the ghost story kind of vein, what have you kind of read recently? Oh, uh, well, what have I read recently? Um, oh, I don't know. I, I, read, <laughs> I read It for the first time. You know, I had never read that oh, before. Oh, yeah. Hey, I, I, don't laugh. I'm I'm like 350 pages into the book. Oh, good. Yeah, and it's on well, my yeah, Kindle you're, you're on my phone, and I'll pick it up and I'll read, you know, like 15, 20 pages of it, and then come back a couple of days later and just keep it going. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was gonna say yeah, 350 pages. That means you're about 10 percent of the way through. It's uh, that's a that's yeah, a it's long like a one. Thousand page book. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, I've I've been. Um, uh, let's see. Um, so you're just so you like to kind of just jump around genres and explore. So are you? Because there's some authors that like to explore characters, and there's some authors that like to explore, 
you know, the plots and the setting and the things like that. Where would you say you would fall? Well, I think, I think I'm probably more of a, if I had to choose one of those, I think I'm probably more of a, a plot uh, okay. explorer. So it was the story that got you excited, and then you started creating the characters within it. Yeah, that, that's right. And, you know, I, I guess in some ways the, the characters always feel like, you know, I think a lot of people feel like, oh, I can't, I can't change the character once they're there. And, yeah, I right. find myself changing the character around if I need to. Um, right. You know, for the demands of the story, uh, and yeah, yeah and, and part of that is, you know, that's part of the, you know, I think often if you're interested in plots, you're also interested in different genres, you know, because the plots fit together in such different ways right. in different genres. Right. Um, and I so think that's, mystery. Yeah, that's part of the and I think mystery and ghost stories, I think, tend to mean to lean more in the plot direction, where I think maybe like military thrillers, you're mm-hmm. in like, uh, you know, those kinds of like cops. So you're, you're like, you know what, I want to I build a cop that is lost his wife and is a druggie or whatever, mm-hmm. and that's what mm-hmm. I'm going to start with, and then they're going to start building the plot. Or military thriller, they're going to have, you know, the ex-Navy SEAL, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think adventure books kind of lead a little bit too. But I'm a plot guy. I, I like to figure out what the kind of concept is, and then I'll start putting the characters with it. Yeah, yeah, me too, yeah. me too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've actually, I'm always interested to hear people who, write mystery, uh, talk, talk about how they come up with the crime. Because to me, it has to be, you know, I couldn't possibly have done it without figuring out what the crime was and then figuring right. out what the clues were and then figuring out, you know, how you solve the crime, right? I think, I think that I, my feeling is like that's like the standard way to do it. But you do come across people every once in a while. Uh, I actually, I heard Scott Turow talk about this once, and he said that uh, the um, – uh, what's his first book? Uh, uh, Presumed Innocent, right? Presumed Innocent, yeah. Uh, yeah, and he, he said that he just wrote that and just, like, he didn't know who had done the killing until... Right. I interviewed him for that, too, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did he say the yeah. same to you? I, that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. book is so complicated. I almost can't believe that he did that, but for some people, yeah. they can do it. I, I, I'm jealous of that, honestly. In fact, on April 15th, I'm interviewing Scott again for his next book, which is coming out, The Last Trial. So. Oh, cool. Yeah, so he's a very interesting guy. But I'll give you, and I've said this before on the radio show, um, you know, so people probably heard this, but I'll let you know. Do you know how Agatha Christie wrote her mysteries? Oh, no, that I don't. So Agatha Christie has been interviewed, and I read dozens of interviews with her. She would write the entire book, and then she would figure out who the killer is. <laughs> that's, that, I mean, that's a kind of, that, that has yeah. to be a kind of genius. I mean, I that's just... like a left brain kind of thing, isn't it? A right yeah, brain exactly, thing, whatever it is. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I don't. I couldn't. I, I don't think I have that in me, unfortunately. Yeah. But so now, man, people who do, that's cool. So, so do you kind of do like a big outline, or are you more of an organic writer and just kind of let it come to you? Uh, yeah. I, I, for this book, I certainly did an outline, um, and that, okay. you know, it, it depends on um, other, other writing projects. I've been a little bit more organic, and, and I, I think, you know, people I think sometimes resist the outline because it. it feels like it's going to interfere with that organic process. Well, did and you it, kind of stray out the out, outside the outline a little bit in times, though, though too? Yeah, you kind of have yeah. to. You know, if, if, you don't, if you don't have something happening in the writing that's surprising you, you know, it, there's not much life to it, I think. Um, right. So, yeah, I, I mean, I found, you know, the characters surprised me in various ways. Uh, you know, I talked about they, I changed them, but, you know, they changed themselves, too. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, most of what I was expecting to happen happened, but some of the ways the characters reacted to it. Uh, that was that was pretty new to me. Uh, well, I know that Jeffrey Deaver and James Patterson are heavy outliners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know they are. I know that they're heavy outliners, and I know that King is a, a very and Koontz, They're they're very organic. They don't yeah. 
yeah, they just kind of let it go however it's going to go, and whatever happens, happens, and that's just the way it kind of works for them. And you know what? And I don't think that there's a right way or a wrong way. I've always said, you know, there might be 50 ways to make a chocolate chip cookie, but at the end of the day, is it a damn good chocolate chip cookie? Well, then I don't care how you framed it to get there. I oh, yeah, want totally. to get there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, people, I mean, people, everybody works out. Everybody who's yeah. successful works out how they're going to do it for themselves. And, yeah, I mean, a lot of the interest in, in asking those kind of questions has to be, you know, just the multitude of ways that people do figure out how to do it, know. you know. So can you talk about your journey a little bit? Um, how long did it take you to write the book and, you know, finally get it sold and now finally get it into the hands of people? Sure. Yeah, well, it, it, took, me, um, it took me a very long time to write the book. Uh, I began I writing it. Like three, four years? Oh no, longer than that. Uh, oh wow! Okay. I, I think it. I think it took me eight to to write from wow. from the start to the finish. Yeah, I started it uh, when I was in a master of fine arts program at Florida International. Um, oh cool! Sorry, yeah, you lost yeah. the coach. So. Oh yeah, <laughs> thanks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so and that was it is, FIU. I should say it was a great place to um, to study mystery. You know, uh, between uh, Les Stanford and Lynn Barrett and John Dufresne. Uh, Jim Hall used to teach there. Uh, the, the, oh, it's cool. really, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's unusual in MFA programs for having a real interest in, uh, you know, in thriller writing and in mystery writing particularly. Uh, so that was that was really valuable to me. So I began it there, and then there was, you know, a huge amount of research that went into it. Um, read a lot of memoirs, just a lot of general history to kind of get a, a feel for the um, for the place and the time. I, and, you know, I, I like that stuff. I really, I, sure. I get a kick out of uh, out of doing that research. So that. You know, you maybe it's the really fun in the book. Yeah, you, you yeah. could see, you could see, you had fun in the when you were writing the book. You could see that from the writing. Yeah, oh, good. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad. I hope that shows up because I, I did. Yeah. It was fun doing the research. Um, uh, anyway, yeah. So that uh, eventually, I mean, you asked about sort of the publication process. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, the uh, the first uh, my my agent Mitchell Waters is the first I submitted to, and Mitchell really liked the book, uh, and I was. So he was an excellent partner in the final round of edits and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, at you know, at long last, we sold it to Delphinium, uh, where I, I uh, worked with Joe Olshan, uh, really an excellent editor. And um, yeah, it took about a, took about a year and a half, not, not quite a year and a half, a year and a bit to, from. So you got your it, agent but, pretty quick then. Yeah, pretty quick. Yeah, that was that was uh, kind of. Um, a was lucky, it just a query letter? Or did you like well, a query, meet him at a, a query letter? And uh, one of my um, Lynn Barrett, well, one of my professors, had uh, had recommended him, and I think she put in a word for me. Uh, uh, that yeah, always helps. Just a query. Yeah, it always. Yeah, that helps. <laughs> Good. Um, uh, anyway, yeah. So uh, yeah, it took about a year and a half to get see print. We didn't we didn't do a huge huge amount of editing uh, after oh, acquisition, partly because it was sort of I'd kind of worked on it to within an inch of its life already. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so, and so here we are. Wow. So, um, and so now that you're kind of having to get out of the typewriter and kind of do interviews like this and stuff, how comfortable are you, um, you know, doing that? Are you just kind of still learning your way? <laughs> well, you should tell me. Yeah, I think I'm still learning my way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, you're doing very well. So oh, I'm well, just wondering, like, but, 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 you know, sometimes, I mean, I've had authors that really suck. I'm not going to lie. And so... There's, I just don't know, you know, how comfortable are you because, you know, some of them might no. be like huffing and puffing a little bit and it's just, because you haven't really been out there and talking yet and you've been behind the typewriter and, 
You kind yeah, of, that's right. It's kind of like I showing mean, the world your baby. Like, here's my son. What do you think? Yeah. It really feels that way, yeah. It, and, it's, of course, it's a huge change. Yeah, I, I mean, I've talked to people before who've, who've had to do that, and I, I think, you know, I, a lot of writers, and, and, I, and me too, you know, you can feel sort of like it's a bait and switch, right? You, you do all this work home alone by yourself, as you yeah. said, just you and the typewriter, and then all yeah. of a sudden you're asked to go out and, and sell the book, and it's like, yeah, wow, this wasn't this wasn't what I signed up for at all. I didn't I didn't think I was going to have to be the public face of anything. But um yeah. Yeah, so, so you know, yeah, I think I think like most writers, I'm probably most comfortable, you know, at home, mm-hmm. you know, reading a book or typing to the right. keyboard or what have you. But uh no, but it's it's kind of it's kind of fun. You know, I, I certainly I mean, I like talking about the book, you know, I like the book. Sure. And, you know, people have been asking interesting questions. So so it's been kind of fun. Yeah. I mean, I always say and I tell authors, and, and they don't really get this until they're actually in it, and you probably now know this. I say, writing the book is the easy part. Yeah. Having people buy it, that's the hard part. Yeah, I can see that for sure. <laughs> but when you say that before, they don't get it because they think, you know, and there's a lot of myths out there. And, and I always kind of label it with the music industry because I know that very well too, is, you know, publishers aren't like they used to be 30 years ago. You know, sure. it's not like that. There's no heavy advances unless you are an author that they know is going to sell. So you're not going to get those kinds of things anymore. And you're expected now to, you know, you have to be marketing so many, some, maybe like one to two hours a day. You have to be out there doing your thing, maybe attending conferences. I mean, they like force you to kind of do these things, just like, you know, musicians. They don't make money off of their album anymore, so they have, yeah. they're forced to kind of have to be back to the old pinning the stuff to the signposts. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, they say they, they make all their money off touring now, right? That's, uh, yeah, it's all touring because no one buys records. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, so, that, that's, that's hard to adjust so, to. But, sure. but, that's, but that's something, like you said, that you didn't really know about until you kind of got into. So were you kind of shocked a little bit? Like, oh, okay, i got to go start doing this now. And then, so you might not, were you prepared for it? Did they kind of let you know before it came out this is what you're going to do? So you started building your website and started going out there and getting your name out there? Yeah, the, yeah, they I had I I think feel like I've had some, you know, really good advice from uh from my publisher and from um you know, particularly from uh the our publicist. Um uh that that's really been a a huge help to me. I I Well, Meryl's you know, great. I love yeah, Meryl. Yeah, Meryl's wonderful. Oh, uh, really, I love Meryl. Really yeah, I've known her for probably 10 years. Yeah, oh, I love good. Meryl. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, but you know, I I tried to I had sort of warned myself to some degree, you know, I I try to keep up with or you know, I mean, you know, try to educate yourself as much as you can beforehand about, you know, what the publishing industry is like. So I, I knew some of it was coming, uh, but yeah, I've, I've certainly needed some help along the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, are you going to be attending any conferences this year? Are you going to go out to Thriller Fest or BoucherCon, Left Coast Crime, places like that? Yeah, I, I'm uh, hoping to make it to Thriller Fest. I, I would, I have it. Okay. Uh, I'm planning to, although I haven't, I haven't made the arrangements yet. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that and we go every year. We'll be there. Well, not every year, but we're going to go this year again. So we'll be there. So maybe we'll run into you, which is kind of fun. And, and yeah, Thriller cool. Fest is a really cool event. I think you really enjoy it. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, I've heard really good things about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, you could just be sitting there, and you know, you see whoever, and you're just like, oh, let me go talk to James Rollins for a second. And, and so you start networking, and then you start talking about your book, and then maybe you can maybe send them a copy, then maybe they can blurb the next one, you know, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, sure. So it's really great networking there. You find the Craft Fest stuff is just outstanding because, I mean, you have, I don't know how, they, they always said that, um, you know, hopefully nothing would ever happen to the Hyatt at the time that they're there because publishing would shut down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. 
Yeah, it's like that's how many great authors that you kind of have there. And they're teaching classes, you know, craft yeah. fest. You know, they're teaching classes how to do this and that and this and that. It's wonderful. You'll love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, I'm looking forward to it. That yeah. stuff's great. So where's the best place for everyone to find out about your information? Is it just your website, jameslmay.com? Well, yeah, that's that's the best place. Um, there, you can um, look at the my publisher's website, which is Delphinium Books, and that has um, I don't know they do a little uh, sort of get to know your author page. So if anybody's you know I don't know if anybody's interested in what my favorite movie is, but if you wish to find that out, you can certainly go to the Delphinium Books website. Um, yeah, th- so those those are the main places. You're not going to tell us on the air what your favorite movie is. Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay, happily. Yeah, it's, it's Conan, the, the 1982 version, which is oh one of Arnold Schwarzenegger's first movies. It's, you know what's like, actually funny? You know, I love, I love that movie, Conan, but I actually like the second one better. No, are you kidding me? You like this? How, why do you, that is the first time I've ever heard anybody say that. How come? And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I thought that the, you know, was it cheesy? Yeah, I mean, but you had, you had Will Chamberlain yeah. and, the, and the prince. Okay, I think that movie came out like 84. Or something. Yeah, it's like 84 or 85, yeah. Right. So I was like 13, 14 years old. That princess was hot. <laughs> yeah, okay, I will give you that. All uh, right. And yeah. so I know the first one is, is iconic. You know, it's iconic. Yeah. I mean, it's like Rambo, you know, Conan, it's iconic. But the second one was just with Grace Jones. Oh, okay, I yeah. mean, Grace, Grace Jones, uh, she's great. So Grace Jones, yeah. for me, the best part of the second one, definitely Grace Jones. And then when the two wizards first. go at it, the really yeah, funny yeah, wizard, yeah. Go, you know, and then, and then he has to go at it with, with the other wizard to try to get him to close the, the mouth down. I mean, uh, that was kind of cool. It's a cool scene. There, it has its cool scenes. But it no, does. to me, yeah, number one, the first one, it's just like, it's almost like a silent film, you know? Because I think, you know, Arnold, he wasn't even really that good at speaking English yet, certainly not at no. delivering his lines. So they didn't, the script must be about 11 pages, but, they, they, you know, they do so much storytelling just with they his do. gestures and with the, you know, the music. And I, I really, I don't know, and there's, you know, there's this great scene where James Earl Jones is the villain, Dulce Doom, he shoots a... Uh, he turns a snake into an arrow and shoots a right. woman with it. Uh, I don't right. know. Yeah, you can't beat that one for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I, but see, now you've met somebody who thinks the second one is pretty good, though. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll, I'll give it – I've seen I've, – I've watched it a few times, but I'll give it another view. I'll think about what you said. You know. <laughs> yeah, because I think you know, it's kind of like one of those movies that you kind of go back and watch and you miss all the subtle little hint, you know, all the subtle little mm-hmm. things. Because, you know, like in there's that, his little sidekick, like the thief, he has a lot of quick little one-liners in there. Oh, that yeah. if you yeah. catch it the right – I mean, so it's just like, uh, you know, I just thought it, was, I thought it was cool and funny. And I think the villain is neat. You know, she kind of reminds you a little of like – um, you know, it might be cheesy. I guess what, like Snow White, the evil sure. queen, oh, yeah, sure. Snow White or something? Yeah, or like Melissa Fent, but she's turned uh-huh. a dragon. You know, I think you know, it was like that. So I, I don't know. I, I thought it was kind of funny. I, 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 and again, the princess was hot, dude. <laughs> dude yeah. No, you're not wrong about that one. Sure. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. But I love those kind of movies. But I thought the original Clash of the Titans was kind of corny but oh, yeah, funny that's a good one. Yeah. and good. Yeah. So, did you ever see the new one? The, uh, when they remade oh, it? Oh, no, that, that, people didn't say that was very good, though. Did you think Dan Worthington was in it? Yeah, was, that any, was it decent? Oh, yeah, I bought both of them. I thought they were great. Oh, cool, okay, great. Oh, I should leave oh yeah, the Clash of the Titans and Wrath of the Titans, yeah. It was huh? the same story, and it was the same kind of thing, except, you know, like the Stygian witches, like the eye was different. You know, uh-huh. they were a little bit more powerful. Medusa was a lot 
bigger badass in this this one than she was in the first one where she was really poorly CGI'd. Um, But they did have an homage to the owl in the in that in the in the new one, which was which is really funny because you know yeah, the cool. of the you know the mechanical owl was in the uh-huh. first one the whole time, and so in the second one, Sam Worthington is kind of walking through and he kind of there's like a box of junk and he kind of picks it up and he looks at it, he goes what's this he goes oh it's, it's broken throw it away so he just puts <laughs> it down and he's gone. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, so that's good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's almost a tease. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So James, hey man, um, it's been great talking to. you. Wish you nothing but the best. Congratulations so much again on the debut book. It is called The Body Outside the Kremlin. It's available now, like we said, Kindle, hardcover, uh, Audible, so you got nice choices to find it there. And, again, James, it's a pleasure to talk to you, man. Um, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, John, thanks so much for having me. I really I really enjoyed talking. Okay, good. I, hopefully this was one of your best interviews. Oh, you know, yeah, for more sure. More fun. For sure. you know, you know, <laughs> trying to make it fun, like I said. <laughs> So good. All right, man. Well, you have a good one, and we will talk with you soon. All right. Thanks again. All right. Bye-bye.